0: You're listening to Once, episode 262, The Other Shoe. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And we have a special guest that you may have heard before. If you haven't, definitely go back a few episodes of our podcast and hear this special guest voice. And you will hear again in the future. And our special guest is Heather Ordover from Craftlit Podcast. Heather, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here with this new season. It's so good.
0: Heather is an expert on literature. She's been going through with her podcast over at craftlit.com. She's been going through Jekyll and Hyde and boy, the insights that she brings from that podcast on that story, plus all kinds of other episodes, like over 400 episodes, I believe mm-hmm. you have now, of yep. great in-depth discussion and annotated, basically like annotated audiobooks. It's great material over there. And because of that, Heather's very much an expert on A lot of this stuff, certainly more of an expert than we are on some of this literature. And we had a lot of fun when we had her on the podcast a couple weeks ago. So we invited her back and you'll be hearing more from her in the future as well. But let's get into discussing this episode, The Other Shoe. And as we normally do, let's start our discussion back in the past. With the the typical Cinderella storyline when we first got to see lady tremaine i loved how much like the orin- original lady tremaine evil stepmother she looked from disney's animated that movie.
2: hair oh yes yeah. <laughs> i i laughed a lot about the sweeping though because <laughs> she just like she's got this pathetic broom cinderella does and she's got this gigantic sort of nature debris covered area to sweep and she's just sort of going in this random pattern all over the place barely moving any of it so when she said i'm trying and stepmother says you're failing i was like well she's got a point
1: yeah you know it was the set dresser saying if you get all of that dust out of the way it's just going to make me have to do it all over
0: again (laughs) yes now, you know, what Lady Tremaine says, as cruel as it is, it's surprisingly logical. Which part? Well, the whole thing <laughs> of, well, your father didn't leave us with any handmaidens, so what else am I going to do? I mean, it sounds so logical. I know, it's mean, it's cruel, it's not a way to treat your family. And step mother stepsister adoption anything like that you know that can be family you can have just as real of loyal love for each other regardless of how your family is structured but uh, the humor of the logic in what she's saying is worth pointing out (laughs)
2: logic-esque considering there are three other able-bodied women in the household (laughs) who could be sharing in that work
0: share what (laughs) now when you watch this scene knowing how the episode ends when you watch clarinda watch her eyes and the way she that she interacts with the footman and how she insults him and then later cinderella did say something like but you were so mean to him and clarinda says well that's because i had to hide it from mother mm-hmm. and you can kind of see it then going back and re-watching this there's the momentary smile or even a slight smile from the footman when he's insulted by clarinda mm-hmm. and the name of ella's stepsisters clarinda and tisby are actually names from not disney of course but from an opera adaptation of cinderella called oh. and i'm going to butcher the pronunciation as oh. i always do Le Ceneratola, which probably means the cinderella <laughs> <laughs> it probably means the cinderella
1: I'm with you.
2: I vote yes. The name, though, like Clorinda, sounds sort of like a modern day retelling of Cinderella, only she has to care for the swimming pool at the mansion. And so she ends up smelling like chlorine all the time. And the stepsisters say, let's call you (laughs) Clorinda." That's what I kept thinking, especially because people kept spelling it with an H-C-H. I was like, that looks just like chlorine
0: and after all this is a family that names people based on things like that and it's neat how they do explain a little bit how cinderella got that name you don't see that in the original disney animated movie
2: you don't i have to say it was done a little bit better in the live action movie that they did in the last couple
0: of years a lot of stuff i think was done better story-wise and like just the idea but they're not mm-hmm. trying to retell the entire cinderella story here they're not they're simply giving us what we need in order to understand what's going on
2: but in particular i felt like the nicknaming was a bit of a leap
0: by the way i loved uh in the title screen this is the first time i think that they've done something like this where in the title screen they changed the letters with gus running inside yeah. of the oh like a little hamster wheel that was great
2: yeah,
1: I totally missed that.
2: Interacting oh. with the logo, I think, is you're right, I think that's new.
0: They've, well they've done it a couple times before, like uh one of the times with Tinkerbell interacted with the logo a oh, little bit. Okay.
1: Right. Oh, I have to go back and look now. Oh, there he is. That's so dumb.
0: <laughs> yeah, Gus is it's great to see him. And there at the ball, we get to see Jared Joseph, who plays Billy. So it is the same actor who played Billy in Storybrooke, and Billy is Gus. But we still don't know why is he a mouse in Enchanted Forest and a person in Storybrooke. And remember also that he was the one uh, whom Albert Spencer, or King George, chopped up with an axe in order to blame ruby i I knew he was murdered i forgot the details (laughs) he must
2: have blocked it out
1: thank you for the nightmare
0: (laughs) and speaking of details and nightmares no that's not a segue into thinking our heroes i'll do that later (laughs) but what ella said here shows that her lack of details will come back to bite her
3: look at this gus isn't it amazing Whatever I owe Rumble stills for it, it's worth it.
2: Your baby mm. is not yeah. worth this ball. This one scene reminded me of why back in the beginning I didn't like this. Hold on.
0: I said that backwards. Oh. I meant this ball is not worth that baby. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Little difference. Yeah, it's that Small, It's that but subject
0: significant. and anti subject or whatever. That sometimes you got to get the order of these things correct. Details, details.
2: He basically agreed with her.
0: <laughs> I feel the same way around cheese as Gus does. It's free cheese.
1: Free cheese.
2: Yeah. There's
0: nothing wrong with free cheese.
2: Really, any free, good food. Right? Or does all food come at a price?
1: Ooh. Ooh. Mad deep, yo. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: This scene, the things that she said as she walked in, reminded me of how I felt about her back in season one. Here she's gushing about Rumpelstiltskin and everything he did for her. And she even says he was my fairy godmother or father. (laughs) Yes, he murdered your fairy godmother right in front of you. He blew her up. And you were just like whatevs magic's magic that that takes a few of the likability of points away from cinderella she's cool with murder people no wonder thomas was afraid of what she'd do with that rifle
0: there is a timeline problem here trying to connect this and oh. reconcile it with the episode the price of gold and uh, DeAndre pointed this out well They said, I find it interesting that Snow and Charming were at the ball where Ella meets Prince Thomas when the events of the ball happen about a year before Snow and Charming finally get together. Back in episode 104, The Price of Gold, Rumpelstiltskin kills Ella's fairy godmother for her wand. In episode 106, The Shepherd... Rumpelstiltskin visits a, quote, grieving, unquote, King George, asking the whereabouts of a particular fairy godmother and her wand, which would place the events of the shepherd before the price of gold, meaning that Snow and Charming not only shouldn't have been happily together at that ball, but they shouldn't even know each other. Ah. So, mm. it's, yeah. <sighs>
2: mm. <laughs> Continuity.
1: I know. It has to be a nightmare on the the writer's room. Yeah. I wonder what their walls look like.
0: Now, if you want to try and figure out the timeline a little bit better, take a look at what Keb masterminds for us and i'm just going to let keb figure this one out (laughs) how it fits into the timeline but we have a timeline (laughs) and i've seen great comments on the timeline and the work keb has done like wow this is amazing kitsis and horowitz need to reference this timeline and it's the most thorough timeline on the internet for once upon a time it's over at oncepodcastcom slash timeline so you can check it out over there despite the timeline problems What I think this does help us to understand is, at least to some degree, that Prince David and Snow White were there near the beginning of the relationship between Prince Thomas and Cinderella. And we've kind of wondered that before because back in the episode in the first season, The Price of Gold, we did question why are these two such good friends or these four rather such good friends mm-hmm. and how long have they known each other how's this timeline coincide and who was where and all of that kind of thing
1: do you remember what the rationale was behind why ella changed her name to ashley in storybrook was it changed for her
0: yeah it was changed for her
2: because of okay. the curse it's another one of those where it's like it's like dr well, whale yeah it's like why now it's like mary margaret and snow it's like okay yeah you were cursed but surely you remember that now that you're not cursed that was not your name at all and you can say we're both all day long but wouldn't you especially if your name's pretty normal wouldn't you just go back to your real name right yeah and ashley
0: still has ash in it so it right. does connect and we've seen oh, that with that's all it. of the storybrook names having some kind of connection back with the enchanted forest names. yeah as. like david yep. David, (laughs) that one was pretty obvious. Yeah, Uh, but Regina, meaning queen, Mm -hmm. although she was called Regina in both Storybook and the Enchanted Force, but some of the other names having those connections as well. When the evil stepmother is coming looking for Clarinda and comes into that loft area, she mentions, as part of an insult, something about the education of her cat.
2: She said, you look like a trash bin and have the education of my cat.
0: Yeah, her cat being... (laughs) Lucifer, probably. Lucifer, Rus- <laughs> <laughs> oh. If
2: you're Gus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and later, when Ella is still in this area and the prince and Snow White come looking for Ella, uh, with this little interaction between Gus and Snow White, mm-hmm. I believe this is the first time we've ever seen Snow White talk to an animal like that or communicate with an animal in some way. Really? I believe so. It was hinted at back in the first episode when they said all of the animals in the Enchanted Forest are abuzz with the Evil Queen's plans for the Dark Curse. But we've also seen mm. Snow White send off a bluebird. We've seen her try to kill a bluebird. <laughs> fun scenes.
2: I also <laughs> liked that she was the one who tracked Ella back there. Yeah.
0: Yes.
1: I like that too.
2: It was sort of like it kept elements of sort of snow's original story and her once upon a time story intact all in one little interaction with a mouse Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i'd been wondering about that actually for a season or two that it, it seemed like there had been several opportunities where they could have played on that and didn't and i'm wondering if they were saving it for um more stuff coming up this season The creature whispering? The creature whispering, especially because, (laughs) and it's interesting that you use that word, (laughs) because once Mr. Whale shows up, or Dr. Whale shows up again, uh, and releases the fact that he is, in fact, Dr. Frankenstein, that sets us up for some really interesting, fun stuff. But we'll talk Mm. about that when we get further down the line.
2: Interesting.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have any theories on how Cinderella ended up with that key through her mother, or rather, how her mother ended up with the key to the land of untold stories?
2: Hmm. I don't have any theories on how she got the key. I think she. Have just we left seen it in her, her mother?
1: In... <laughs> Whoops, where'd that come from? <laughs> have we have we ever seen her mother in any interactions with her in previous seasons?
0: No, we haven't, um, mm. and. and as far as we know we probably never will yeah um, but we've seen cinderella uh, as cinderella very rarely only in that episode that i can recall the price yeah. of gold and then we've seen ashley inside of storybrook a couple more times since then and she was also even one of those once upon a time characters to help the spinoff once upon a time in wonderland you may remember that she was there with leroy when they were locking up the diner. So she's been here and there kind of scattered throughout the seasons. Uh, but for Cinderella and the rest of her family, we haven't met her father. We haven't seen her mother. Yep. I don't know if we'll necessarily get like the story, the backstory of the key. And where did the key come from? Yeah. Um, whether it's even one key or if there are maybe several keys. Hmm.
2: I have a feeling that we're just touching on how various characters that were seen each week ended up in the land of untold stories which needs a shorter nickname
0: yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm seeing in the chat narnia neverland all of these are shorter shorter than the land of untold stories what
2: about just l-u-s land of untold stories and then we can just call it lose LUS. <laughs> we'll keep working on
0: it <laughs> i loved all of the parallels both with this scene as well as the scene at uh, the watchtower between so many other things in once upon a time the Mm -hmm. the iconic evil stepmother over the dead or almost dead or unconscious uh loved person and the other person there with them and and we've seen that in season one we've seen that in other seasons we've seen that flipped between different characters and here we see it it's almost like copy and paste.
2: Yeah, I couldn't decide if I loved it or hated it because it was so much like Regina's story, mm-hmm. especially framing and everything. At least he didn't get killed because then it would have been like, okay.
0: So with all of this Cinderella stuff, I don't quite get how does this set up Ashley to want to go run off with a rifle?
2: Well, she knew her stepmother would be there
0: too. So you think that's why she took the rifle as is-
2: yeah, to defend, protection. just pick up where they left off, defend um, whatever his name was, <laughs> the footman. <laughs> the steward. Yeah. yeah, Jacob. Jacob.
1: Jacob. Yes. I know, I was just thinking that it's it was interesting because I was so convinced that, oh, she's turned a corner and this is going to play into more evil queen plans because if she's going to go off and kill her stepsister, which is what I think they wanted us all to think at that point, that would be a really interesting person to have crossover to the dark side. Yeah, And it, di- it didn't work out that way, but I, it, it does feel like there's something else on deck with her. I'm not sure which way they're going to go with it, but it seemed like picking up a gun... People don't re- do that very often on the show, and every time they do, it seems like it's kind of a big big deal.
2: Well, she doesn't
0: have magic.
1: Well, that's true.
0: If she had...
1: She'd have a glass gun.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I can see Lady Tremaine learning how to use a gun While she was in The Land of Untold Stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Alan Quartermine and she probably hung out and drank.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One other thing I I really thought was cool in these flashbacks is we saw that Prince Thomas liked it. And so he put a ring on it. And and I'm not (laughs) trying to judge you. I'm just trying to save you. To quote. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) If you like it, yes. put a ring on it.
1: They totally could have broken into a beyonce dance at that point, and that would have been fine with me
0: uh-huh. that was that was great. There
1: were a lot of really good lines, just one liners in this one,
0: yeah, and speaking of breaking off into dance. You know who helps us to break off into dance? Oh my. It's our wonderful heroes. And our wonderful heroes also don't judge us. They save us. Our wonderful <laughs> heroes have great one-liners. Our wonderful heroes make lasagna fit for a king. Wow. Our wonderful heroes also stay one step ahead of themselves. And wow. our wonderful heroes are boys and girls with mystery. And they can dance in glass shoes as well.
2: And they, they overcome tremors to heal stab
0: wounds. Exactly. So for this episode, the wonderful heroes, we want to thank because they're awesome people. They can dance. They can jump. They can do all kinds of amazing things. And they support this podcast. Lisa Slack and David Newland and our 28 heroes on Patreon, thank you very much for your kind support of the podcast. We couldn't do this without you because it does cost to run the podcast too pay for the services, the people, the products, the things that we have to buy to keep the podcast running the and dancing. things we have to pay for, yeah, the <laughs> dancing lessons for all of <laughs> us as podcasters and all of that stuff, you make that possible because you're an amazing, awesome, incredible beautiful lovely talented handsome hero and if you want to be one of those heroes that has all of those things going for you and life is just dandy and you see skies of blue and red roses too then please go to com slash hero and thank you for your support that was the most verbose thank you ever for our, for our awesome. heroes
2: it was great
1: that was a heroic Hero,
2: I now feel that they need their own podcast, and then they would need supporters for their podcast, and then they would get to thank those people. But they would actually do it in song and dance.
1: Ooh, could happen. Challenging.
0: Moving on to the present in Storybrooke, like you do. When we have this moment here with Hyde inside of the hospital prison, basically. An important thing was mentioned, I think we need to remember, and that is that this is not the evil queen we remember. I think we're going to see that the, this evil queen is going to be a lot more cunning, a lot more evil than the evil queen we ever knew before. Because after all, this evil queen is pure evil queen.
2: And she speaks in sing song, so you know something's up. Right? <laughs> so the weird thing is that what struck me about Hyde was. It looks like there's a fresh cut under his
0: eye. Well, that's the cut from... Is that the normal cut? That yeah, he has? the season finale last oh. time.
1: Yeah.
2: So it makes me question everything that we said about the seer and the bruise on her face looking fresh.
0: Mm. Oh, and thinking that the seer was Hyde?
2: Well, or just feeling like something was up oh. because her wound looked fresh. Right. If yeah. all the wounds just continually look fresh this year, that might not mean anything.
0: Well, what I think they're doing is most of these events are happening pretty close to each other time-wise. So if this is only happening, maybe this is the third day from when Hyde came, it makes sense for the cut to still look pretty red like that. But it looks open and uncoagulated.
1: Well, he's that kind of guy.
0: (laughs) He's
1: an open and uncoagulated kind of man. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Well, and there, you know, there is something to that, actually, now that you mention it, because once he separated himself from his Jekyll side, all bets are off. We don't actually know how they're going to behave. And we don't know anything about that from the original story either, because that was the step that he was never able to take in the book. And the the other thing was, um, I was rewatching last, the end of last season, uh, this last week, and Daniel, when Jekyll is mixing the things together, and trying to get the right mixture for the potion before he manages to separate the two of them. He's talking about how he doesn't have the right ingredients, and that is straight out of the book. Mm-hmm. He spends probably the last 25 pages of the book trying to get the purest versions of these compounds that he can. And finally, in one of his last letters, has to admit that perhaps the problem wasn't that they were pure the first time, but that they were tainted. Ah. And that's what brought hideout. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> yeah, so so we really don't. I mean, there is no map for us from this point out for what uh, Jekyll and Hyde are going to be able to do, and and no telling how incapacitated Jekyll can be moving forward, as far as just being proactive.
0: And we can probably assume that a heart crush won't work because I'm glad they acknowledge this in this episode, even though we know that, yeah, Regina crushed the evil queen's heart. She should be dead. Why did that not work? At least they've acknowledged it here. And then our characters Mm -hmm. know, okay, apparently that doesn't work. So they probably can't rip out Hyde's heart or if my theory is correct, they can't rip out Jekyll's heart and crush it in order to actually defeat that alter ego. And
2: I go back to my old theory.
1: <gasps> what is it?
2: The way to defeat the evil counterpart is to crush the heart of the good one.
1: The good one. So that Regina
2: might have to crush best. her own heart to defeat the evil queen and sacrifice herself.
0: A movie that I've referenced before, I don't remember the context, I referenced it before, but um, was Dragonheart. Where mm. uh, there's a prince that turns out to be a bad guy, uh, but he shares a heart with this dragon, and I'm going to spoil this movie, but it's from the <laughs> early '90s or late '80s, so it's okay. You should that have doesn't seen make it. it by okay, now. stories acting, are timeless. Rewatching it, the acting is horrible, but fun soundtrack. But anyway, <laughs> uh, in the end, in order to kill the evil prince, they have to kill the dragon, and the dragon sacrifices himself because. He shares a heart with the prince, Dragonheart. You know that's how that goes, Uh. and and that might be what happens here as well. Where, in order for Hyde to be defeated, Jekyll maybe says, "Kill me."
1: Yeah, that would be in keeping with him as far as how he sees things. They're going to have in his world vision. vision. Yeah,
2: they're going to have to develop the Jekyll in this show a whole lot more for that to be meaningful.
1: Yes, I concur. Which is not to say I don't like him.
2: Right. There's just not much to like so far.
1: No, he's still kind of like, which is unfortunate, right? Because that's always the risk. In fact, I remember during the very first season, my husband and I were saying to each other, wow, it's going to be really interesting if they can keep the good guys interesting, because that's the hardest kind of writing to do. Yeah, and And they've done a remarkable job all the way along. But Jekyll does seem to be like... The I keep hack. hoping that we're missing. Yes, yes, exactly. I keep hoping that there's some side to him that we haven't seen yet because he is supposed to be a brilliant scientist, a brilliant doctor. Uh, yeah, And that's sort of boring so far.
2: So far, he's just an accent and a pair of glasses.
1: Right. The glasses are adorable. <laughs> I'm a fan.
0: <laughs> I'm also a fan of seeing jesse schramm who plays ashley and cinderella seeing her back in on the show i forgot to mention that earlier just great to see them bringing her back and uh, reprising that role yes an interesting character here in uh, granny's when ashley shows up there and everything this lady that walks in and henry's like oh someone new i gotta go meet her do you know who she is nope i'm quite certain i know who she is oh I Heather, I thought her. I thought you would immediately guess who this is, but you'll you'll no. see this piece as soon as I mention it. Okay. This lady who walks in, and we have these screenshots in the show notes over at oncepodcast.com slash two sixty two. This lady who walks in is dressed kind of like someone from the eighteen hundreds, and she has a letter on her um her shirt. It's a red letter. It's the letter A. It's a scarlet letter. Exactly. Yes.
1: Oh, my God. I must have looked away because that was, oh, that's so fantastic. Oh, that's going to be really interesting.
0: (laughs)
2: Like, how does that work in this show?
0: So Hester Prynne (laughs) is the main character from Nathaniel Hawthorne's uh, book from 1850 called the scarlet letter and the the red letter a was something that she had to wear because she was labeled as an adulteress now the whole storyline of the scarlet letter is follows al- among many things basically <laughs> um repentance forgiveness legalism guilt sin adultery different things like that i mean the whole mm-hmm. gamut of stuff um and and some beautiful imagery too in it of uh, forgiveness and um repentance and certain things and ideas but i don't know necessarily that this is a character we'll get to know
2: <laughs> they may have just put her in the scene
0: just for fun right kind of yeah. like those two characters we met back in i believe season two which was probably um, jack <laughs> sprat who could eat no fat and yeah. right the,
1: <laughs> yeah the the thing that was interesting about hester prin is later in my notes i had written down Um, That this is, this seems to be setting up such a binary vengeance versus redemption, which has been a thing that's gone on a lot. But the characters that were showing up today and a lot of the lines felt to me like they were really heavily pushing the sin and redemption or the uh, sin, vengeance and redemption paradigm. And boy, does Hester play right into that? Because as you might notice, the guy in the story wasn't wearing a Scarlet A, just Hester. And there was a, Hawthorne was really, um, we did this on the podcast maybe six years ago. He, he was very unhappy with how the people in Salem had run their legal system because his great grandfather was one of the Salem witch trial judges. And so for him, writing the books, The Scarlet Letter, was part of his, he felt that it was part of his penance mm. for uh, trying to make up for what his family had done. He even changed the spelling of his name. But yeah, Hester is an indicator that there's going to be some interesting and difficult decisions to be made
0: even the way that she carries herself in this very short scene communicates Mm -hmm. her feeling of shame and unwork because Mm -hmm. of what people have said and how people have judged her and not accepted any kind of repentance from her and it makes perfect Mm -hmm. sense for her to be the kind of person who would escape to the land of untold stories because she feels guilty or she feels ridiculed whatever the case is whether it's judgment or guilt which both were in the story uh, mm-hmm. It makes total sense for her to want to escape all of that and go to the land of untold stories, where her story then doesn't play out any further.
1: Yeah, maybe even more so than any other characters, she's she really makes a ton of sense. Yeah, for why she she would prefer to be there than
0: anywhere else. But I really doubt we'll get to see any more of her character in the story.
1: But maybe she'll lurk in the background.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Nonetheless, nice to get a, another character from kind of that 1800s sort of era. Mm-hmm. And uh, that they're going with the the kind of steampunk and type of characters it seems we're seeing a lot of from the land of untold stories, yeah, it's a lot of fun.
2: When was the last time we saw Ashley before this?
0: I think it was at the daycare when all of the mothers, the new mothers were all yes. there singing songs together, and they didn't quite trust Emma with the baby. I think I can't oh, remember the exact episode that right. was. But it was during that whole, is Emma going dark kind of thing.
2: So she's popped in here and there. Yeah. It's not just been season one and then
0: now. Right. She's been scattered throughout. And then also (laughs) in the premiere episode of Once Upon a Time in Wonderland.
2: Don't say scattered. We talked about (laughs) Gus
0: recently. (laughs) We just loved him to pieces. Oh, gee. No. No. At Archie's office, Leroy is there and we get this nice little reference uh, that now we know, yes, Dopey has been rescued from the tree and that was weeks ago, which that tells me that either the dwarves were pretty creative in how they brought Dopey back into Storybrooke or that the dwarves could easily cross the town line to get Dopey and then figure out some way to make him not turn into a tree. My guess is that they just simply uprooted him. Brought him back into Storybrooke, (laughs) and then he turned back into Dopey.
2: Or, you know, they could have asked Blue Fairy since she's totally a person who's there and is supposed to be pretty powerful, but she's not asked for help very often.
0: Well, the dwarves and the fairies do work together a whole lot, so I wouldn't be surprised if there was some help there.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. but we know better than to ask too many questions about how this all worked because...
1: That way lies madness. Our questions are
2: pointless.
0: (laughs)
1: <laughs> but fun.
0: True. Archie gives some really good advice to Emma. Emma, well, maybe it's not about how you end things. Maybe it's about how you live them. And that might be something that we're going to see played out a lot more in this whole conflict that Emma is having. Because look at what we learned in this episode that Emma could still use some magic when her family was around and encouraging her and love was felt. So it's not a matter of her trying to end things by being the victor. And it's not like the pursuit of happily ever after. It's Mm. really focusing on the pursuit of making ever after possible and not just a happy ending, but stretching that out into an entire life of good decisions. Mm.
2: And whatever else is going on, she's making, she's doing the best she can in each moment. And helping people with their happy endings,
0: yeah, she is the bringer of happy endings after all.
2: I love the way she referenced her tremors to say this thing and then mocking waving her hand.
0: I <laughs> I really want to hear them after we. I I'm pretty sure we're the ones who invented it uh, first. But I really want to hear them say in the show, <laughs> "Savior shakes." Oh, that Emma has the Savior shakes. <laughs>
2: I think they have to do a little more reinforcing of the idea that this is not just her. Yeah, that's true.
1: Although it sounds a little bit like another dance song from Beyonce.
0: <laughs> At the Crash Dirigible, when Dr. Jekyll is working with his little science experiment there, we hear a couple of things that I think we need to remember. Uh, one is defeat and repeat. Yeah, that's
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: basically Snow White and Charming's storyline in this episode And and that really Mm
2: -hmm. it really diffused that conversation for me because at first what he's going we always do i'm like oh man how many times have you had this conversation and how many times have you two gotten to actually be part of the main action and the main resolution of the story in Mm storybrook they don't let them have hero status very often anymore
0: and snow refers to wanting to go back to teaching which I said this in initial reactions. I, I want to say it again because I do think this could be really setting up end game for this season. But then again, as our forum moderator, Matthew Paul, uh, pointed out, every time we've talked about end game, we get another season. So maybe we should do some reverse psychology here and say, you know what? I could totally see this being seventh season, <laughs> eighth season.
2: <laughs> the one where Snow teaches all year. Yes. <laughs>
0: But thinking about this return to normal life, Gareth sent this feedback saying Emma's death, or at least the death of the Savior, might be a good thing. Perhaps Emma won't be able to have a normal life and a happy ending until the Savior dies or becomes someone else. Saviors don't get happy endings, but maybe former Saviors do. That's odd. I think that's kind of odd. Well, one of the theories I presented on... What could be happening with that vision is that Emma is battling her saviorness, and the saviorness is what dies.
1: I yeah, and,
0: and that theory was also inspired by and contributed by uh, what Gareth previously sent as yeah. well.
1: Yeah, but and and the Empire Strikes Back.
2: But the stabby one is wearing a dark cloak and looks really evil and menacing. So I still think the symbolism is a little off if that's the kind of thing they're trying to do, because that means non savior emma is represented by a cloaked figure that stabs saviors like that just sound that doesn't sound quite on the mark to me
0: and speaking of stabbing on the mark it's fun to see hook and henry doing their little parry there with the sword fights that was adorable
2: also in the scene i thought regina sounded kinda kinda old school regina when she said Jekyll was as useless as his other half.
0: And you know what I do with things that are useless? <laughs> I throw them
2: out. Now, despite her having to actually work to figure out how to split up a family instead of it coming naturally, do you think this was at all deliberate to kind of start to set a stage for, yes, they split, but they're not as separate as you might think? Because that comment was just so evil queen Regina, I thought. Maybe they would just say that it's just Regina's personality to talk about somebody
1: that way. but She doesn't seem to suffer fools very much. And she doesn't also, to me, she doesn't seem to do very well with people who are not proactive mm-hmm. about what, whatever is on the table. And Jekyll does some dithering and whininess. <laughs> and I, so it's, I do kind of think that there must have been something in Regina's personality that was snarky. Whether she was the evil queen or not, she's good at good snark. Yeah. And and that line, it did, it made me smile. I, I wrote that one down too. It's like, oh, that was good. I missed her. Well, it's so nice to see her again. Not not dripping venom, but dripping snark.
0: Yes. And speaking of classic Regina, I think we got a little bit of classic Emma when Henry and Hook were doing their little parry with each other and with the the sticks. And when emma brings out the shoe and we see her magic the shoe so that they can use some kind of locator spell interestingly not with a potion this time but she just magics it herself but she starts going after it and her little enthusiasm her kind of sherlock's holmesian like the game is afoot sort of thing
2: yeah Uh that's true
0: feels like probably what classic emma was like she finds that clue to track down the person and she's like yes the game is afoot i'm gonna go catch this person The game is
2: afoot because i'm following a shoe (laughs) (laughs) i think i didn't you're right i don't think i noticed that because i was so distracted by wow emma can just magic things to herself and then set a locator spell on them that's kind of new for emma
1: yeah
0: And both of those things occurred without any problems with her using her magic, possibly indicating that when she's not in a panic, she can use her magic. When she is thinking of love, thinking of saving people, thinking of actually being a savior and not just saving her own bacon, but when mm. she puts love before life, maybe she's able to use her magic.
1: Yeah, I think that's a a nice way to put it. And I, I did notice that she... She had no, no issues with pulling that shoe up.
2: Yep. I wish they would cut to the chase and just somehow have her use a locator spell with David's coin. Let's be honest.
1: Mm. <laughs> well, yep.
0: That might happen. And in this next scene, we see David going to Rumpel to ask about that coin. And there's something really, really interesting that happens. And it's one of those things that you may say, Daniel, you're obsessing over details, but... Think about this. Okay. Later on in the episode, Evil Queen refers to removing Emma from the chessboard. Hmm? When David walks into Rumpel's shop, what is Rumpel doing? He's playing chess. Chess. Hmm? Look at the pieces he's playing with. He picks up the queen, moves the queen to take out the rook. (laughs) And you know what rook is? Well, not only is it the the like castle like player in the game <laughs> of chess, but uh, the word rook one of its other noun definitions is a black European crow, noted for its uh, gregarious or that is fondness of company of others and its sociable habits. Now, think of a crow. Who do we think of that's connected to crows?
2: Well, you always think of Regina. Exactly. I never hear it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm, now every time... I'm crow-deaf, I guess. I don't know. Every time my wife and I hear a crow, we go, Regina! Because <laughs> nearly every time in Storybrook or in Enchanted Forest, when Regina is around, especially outside, there's usually a crow somewhere in the background.
2: Now, have you heard that this year? And has it been in
0: conjunction with Regina or with Evil Queen? I don't know. I think I've been kind of crowed out. But I might be paying more attention to it now. Because think about the symbolism here. Queen and... A character that it's another meaning is Crow, which has some connection to Regina. And Rumpel is playing this game of chess with these two pieces. Yes. He controls the queen to take out the rook. It could be symbolic of Rumpel strategically playing the evil queen against Regina or vice versa. Mm-hmm. But with the, the later conversation where uh, evil queen refers to Emma... Uh, and removing Emma from the chessboard it makes me wonder if the evil queen sees Emma as kind of the queen character that's very powerful it's the very strategic piece in a game of chess yes you can win a game of chess without the queen but the queen is v- extremely helpful and extremely powerful and when you remove the queen winning a game of chess becomes a lot harder so maybe rumple sees that as well and rumple is playing Emma in order to defeat either the evil queen or regina in either case there's some kind of symbolism going on here i'm i'm quite certain of it and you can see the screenshot of this in the show notes at onespodcast.com slash 262 and and watch that little scene and you'll see it as well now as far as is it the black queen or the white queen well the chess pieces are glass so there's completely clear glass and there's frosted glass. Which one represents white? Which one represents black? I, I, I don't know.
1: That was a brilliant move on their part to find and hunt down that particular chessboard
0: because of,
1: because of what you just said, that there's, there's no way you could say, well, obviously, it's, they did a nice job with that. That's tricky. Oh, and uh, in the chat window, No Daniels said, I thought the symbolism was glass chess, glass shoe. It's true there's a lot of glass in this one. Interesting. Yeah.
0: That could be uh, a little theme maybe they wanted to carry through the episode. Careful. Mm-hmm. Glass cuts. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe we'll see Sydney Glass again soon. she oh. in this episode. <laughs> I
1: was thinking that too.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: Rumple's uh record keeping was actually not a lie this time.
0: Well, in the past he's referred to how good he keeps records but yes there was that time that he pulled out a card and it was blank it was blank
2: and then he read things off of it
0: yeah liar i think it was the episode (laughs) true north when we first heard him talk about his records that wouldn't surprise me meanwhile with ashley and the gun on the docks, which sounds totally mm-hmm. like something from the game Clue. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> the pipe. Or some HBO series.
1: <laughs> what do you yes. think about
0: Ashley's whole behavior here?
2: I you no, know, this this scene didn't work for me. Mm. People were not logical. This was this was a tape it up, get the scenes connected to each other scene. yeah. So, uh, Ashley pointing the rifle at her friends because why? And then even after standing there and explaining that she did something bad, she has something to fix, she has someone to go protect. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, we've got as you call them savior shakes. We've got very on the nose. Swan, stop her. Use your magic. As if to underline, look, Emma cannot use her magic on demand when this happens. And and I'm going Stop her why? Isn't she running off to do the very thing that you guys have been doing continually for years? She just said she's going to go help somebody. Are you afraid of the gun? Because you guys are walking around like loaded guns with your magic and your hooks and your whatever. Why did she need to be stopped? None of this
0: made any sense to me at all. Well, With her saying that she was the evil stepsister, it made (laughs) me think that, well, the next thing we're going to see is learn that her backstory is actually that she sought to kill uh, mm-hmm. Cl- Clorinda but that's mm. totally not the way this episode went
2: yeah but even the way she said it it's not like she sounded like a threat now whatever she did in the past so yeah,
1: yeah. Eh. I thought it was a, a, a little over the top and it, it did feel like whatever scene they had written originally took too much time yeah and they had to <laughs> figure, figure out a way to end it fast because right. they only had that many minutes left which is brutal because they there was a lot of information that got communicated today I mean, in in today's episode, you know, when we, when Lost was on and you go, wow, I learned one thing that I wanted to learn and now there are 17,000 things I don't understand and they're all new. That was not this episode. I felt like we got some interesting forward motion. Yeah. uh, I know that. The sacrifice of her.
0: uh, (laughs) On the first viewing of this episode, I felt like it was just meh, uh, kind of a lot of filler to it or Mm. just a filler episode, but then going back. I think there are some of those little hints. Right. Putting mm-hmm. the chess pieces on the board.
1: That's exactly where yes, we talk about that on Craftlet too that there are chapters where you go, "Wow, that didn't do much, but it's all setting the pieces up for the killing stroke." Yeah, and it, you know, it was enjoyable,
2: and I hope that it means that as the story unfolds there's there are fewer of those moments where Regina just has to explain to everybody in the room why the thing that just happened is logical because they've woven it into other stories and prepared us for a thing to happen. They're yeah, setting the stage. They get to take a little longer with that while they're telling other stories. And I think that'll be good.
0: Meanwhile, Belle is inside of Hook's ship and she is reading the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. <laughs> Which Zelina was also reading in the episode Uh The Bear and the Bow back when she was (laughs) expecting.
2: You got to know what to expect when you're expecting.
1: Except no, 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 no. Ladies, listen. (laughs) Do not read that book when you are pregnant. After? Sure. Read the chapter after you've gone through that month. Your husband needs to read the book. Your partner needs to read the book. Somebody else better be reading that book, or you're going to give yourself hypochondriacally every symptom in the book. <laughs> <laughs> I read them. I read them all after, and I felt very educated and happy that I didn't go through some of those things, and and fairly comforted that I went through others, and was really glad that my husband read it first because he knew what to expect. Then <laughs> that's funny, <laughs> and so oh, my wife's lost her mind again. <laughs> especially,
0: don't eat onion rings after eating this book. <gasps> right. Oh. Wait thirty months before eating onion rings after you read Wait, this 30 months so you mean even after the baby's
2: born you could end up with another hyper-aged baby yeah. just from eating
0: onion rings yeah
1: you have no idea
0: <laughs> now david says something here that i mean it's surrounded by sadness but there's also some good truth in it is he mentions that from onion rings the sadness <laughs> he mentions that having his dad gone was worse than having his dad there and basically failing at being a father. And, and that is a really important lesson, I think, for us to just remember is that no matter your failure, yes, there are times when you, I mean, any kind of failure, it's always good to work on to turn the failure into success, to learn from failure, to not be a failure in your family life and failure to your family. But being present And working on it and growing, changing, and improving is far better Mm -hmm. than being gone and giving up. Mm -hmm. But it it sounds like, though, David's father was not giving up. He did not intend to be gone because, as we learn later in the episode, he didn't get drunk and he didn't die from Mm -hmm. uh, an accident like that. He was killed. He was keeping his promise to his son So he he could have been there for his son.
2: There are quote marks in that sentence. If I say it, and I don't know which word to put them on, they could be on he, (laughs) they could be on killed. A man found a man stabbed with that coin, not stabbed with the coin, but you get the idea that man that was stabbed who had the coin wasn't necessarily David's father but could have been a player in the story that landed David's father where? In the land of untold stories.
0: Mm -hmm. Perhaps, but here, this is from later on when I got this screenshot, when Charming didn't burn the card. Um, I was able to get a screenshot of the text (laughs) that uh, was clearly on the card. And it said, inventory item 2077, description, antique round coin with a center hole cast in tin, condition, well-worn, provenance the coin was taken off the body of a dead man a shepherd in the wreckage of a cart this man had been stabbed and was evidently dead before the cart went off the cliff oh Mm. so i don't think there's any chance that charming's father is still alive why Because of what... Oh, now you're saying that this man is probably not actually Charming's father?
2: Haven't you seen Frozen? People can jump onto carts and (laughs) all sorts of things can happen while carts are careening out of control. David's father could have gotten stabby in self-defense.
0: So you think the man that was found dead Mm -hmm. was not actually David's father. Correct.
2: I think there's a strong... Strong possibility of that, especially considering the fact that we are... Was this the second episode? This was the third episode. Yeah, third. Out of three episodes, we've seen at least two locator spells so far. One used on an object belonging to someone dead that did not work, and one used on someone living that did work. And the coin keeps getting woven throughout, including a scene with the coin directly after starting a locator spell. I was only half kidding when I said use the locator spell on the coin.
0: Well, if the coin belong to david's dad and they use it to find david's dad and Mm -hmm. david's dad did not die what's the darkness that evil queen wants to bring out in that unless it's something like david's (laughs) father says oh no i was a failure i ran away i couldn't face you all of this i don't think there's darkness to that because all this time david thought his father died a drunkard and failed
2: okay to that point And this is a little bit getting ahead, but uh, Lady Tremaine said something interesting. She mentioned that Evil Queen was helping her get revenge on a list of people, which we saw the integrated Regina slash Evil Queen do in the past with the Count of Monte Cristo. So if it is about trying to bring out darkness through revenge, then you could be correct. And it's about finding the murderer of David's father and getting revenge which that was also strongly hinted at with snow's
0: warning Hmm. i could see something like that Uh,
1: that goes in with the vengeance thing starting starting the season with the count of monte cristo leans a lot in hmm. that direction that's really interesting i have to think about that for a while yeah Hmm.
0: and something that bell said i think could be applied to several relationships on this show.
3: So no matter what the damage to the relationship, you need each other.
0: So that could apply to Belle and Rumple. That could apply to David and his father. That could apply to Emma and Hook. That could apply to Regina and Evil Queen, Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Everyone who is somehow split, either two separate people or their personality is split into separate existences. <laughs> I think that could apply where you need each other, <laughs> no matter how damaging one may seem. Oh, mm-hmm.
2: Belle's been doing some good thinking in the belly of that pirate ship. I thought she was pretty sharp noticing that the only reason David would be the one delivering the tape was that he made a deal with Rumple. Yeah. I hope that's the extent yeah. of the deal, that there isn't more we haven't picked up on.
0: Well, here's, here's something to think about with that. Remember, when Rumple and david were doing that dealing rumple basically pointed out wow you must be quite desperate so that means i can quite ask quite a high price so del- <laughs> he comes
2: right out and says that i'm like david play
0: it cool man <laughs> so delivering this tape to bell and the baby mm-hmm. was extremely valuable to rumple I mean, Rumpel could have asked for so much more than this, but this is what he asked for. Now, that could show how much he values Bell and the baby. Mm-hmm. It could show that there's something else here that's worth something to him.
2: And also, did he already know where Bell was or did he follow David?
0: Yeah, we don't know. Or, as we mentioned in initial reactions, maybe that tape was somehow some kind of tracking <laughs> spell kind of device that he could be able to find where Bell was. yeah. But from what's on the tape and the way that we saw Rumple outside of Hook's ship, I don't really get the impression that he had any kind of malicious intent here. Yeah. And, and as long as we're on that topic of at the ship, that, that little poem uh, mm-hmm. and the idea of a spell, General Sunshine said this the way it was so childlike sounding, I wonder if it was a spell over the baby to do what i don't know draw the baby closer to rumple speed up the pregnancy like magic onion rings or even soften bell's heart for rumple <laughs> don't grow up to be morpheus <laughs> yeah no don't know but it was too rhythmic and repetitive and full of magical belongings to be just a children's poem well Aww. sorry to disappoint you general sunshine which sounds kind of amazing odd. Uh, but <laughs> <Sounds good. laughs> it is actually a children's poem Mm -hmm. It's one that Robert Carlyle picked himself, and we've got a link to the full lyrics of uh, the poem in the show notes for this episode at onespodcast.com slash 262. It's by Murdoch McLean, and it is an old Scottish poem that Robert Carlyle picked himself for this and that's something that Jane Espenson even tweeted she said Robert picked it himself isn't it perfect and it it Mm -hmm. was it's such a cute little thing and yeah his Scottish accent really came out in his Mm -hmm. reading of it but I was gonna say I'm
2: gonna have to listen to it again because I was so distracted by how does a British accent become a Scottish accent just because you're reading a poem I get that that's his real
0: accent but what happened (laughs) and the poem is called sleep well by the way
1: and I don't think you could read it very well with a straight English accent, just because there are what at least ten words that are actually yeah. uh, very very Scottish. And if you tried to say them with a received pronunciation, you would just sound lame.
0: Oh, yes,
1: you need to brr all over the place.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's how an it American was beautiful though. Scottish <laughs> accent. <laughs> brrrr. It's a
1: brr, and that's why Outlander is so popular. Is because brr. Oh, <laughs> that's the only, obviously the only reason it couldn't be anything else. No, but that poem, that poem was one of those things that made people stop and turn around in the house while I was watching. Other people poked their head in and said, what is that? Because uh-huh. it, it stands out as being something real, really real mm-hmm. and beautiful. And boy, Carlyle really nailed that
0: one. Yeah. Yeah, You could just he's, he's lovely. copy the audio from that and fall asleep to that probably every night.
1: <laughs> just put it on a loop. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, then you better
2: hope that General Sunshine's theory isn't correct if that's what you're going to do.
1: Yeah, I know. Otherwise, it's onion rings for everyone. Bad news.
0: <laughs> bad, bad news. When the evil queen magicked Emma, Hook, and Henry... To, it seemed like close to the town line, not outside of Storybrooke like I was kind of hoping it was, but to the town line. It's funny that when we come back to see the three of them there, Emma is sitting in the middle of the road. Do you realize all of the symbolism and metaphor there? That here she is in the middle of the road. Middle of the road. Unsure which direction she should take.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: She also said Ashley was her first save, which I thought was an interesting thing to point out. I guess that's true.
1: It is true, isn't it? Because that was, way, way what, back.
2: episode two? Was it two, two. or three?
0: It was uh, four or five.
2: I think four was mm-hmm. in my head, but for some reason I thought True, no- true North was four. I think it was... Six. It's
0: within that first
2: portion <laughs> you, of the series. You can tell how much more focused in we were on certain details in the first season. They just burned into our minds. Clearly, they're getting <laughs> fuzzy. But still, that I would even try to remember that. I can't remember that from last season. Yeah. After,
0: <laughs> after 100 episodes – and I personally – now, I probably – this is nothing compared to our walking Once Upon a Time encyclopedia, <laughs> hashtag hire the nerd, Jacqueline, a moderator of our forums, and Matthew Paul. Boy, their encyclopedic knowledge of Once Upon a Time far surpasses mine. They remember this stuff more than I do. But after 100 episodes, watching all of these at least three times, that's 300 viewings, probably more because we did that – season rewatch one of those years but yeah a lot of this stuff starts to blend together yes i want the chronological edit of the whole series we might get that someday or maybe a (laughs) fan will put that together yeah that would be impressive i'd watch that i loved the kind of irony but also fittingness of seeing that uh when cinderella finds her stepsister and her mother there it's at a pumpkin farm oh. which we have seen a sign for the pumpkin <laughs> farm before but we've to my knowledge we've never actually visited the pumpkin farm
2: unless that's where they found a horse uh, that they were looking for wasn't that one that, of the operations while emma was a dark one
0: that does yes yes that's right yes i yeah i remember that now that's Maybe the other place, or maybe that was the only other time that we saw the pumpkin farm. I don't remember what episode that was from. Hashtag hire the nerd. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. More cruelty from the stepmother. Mm-hmm. She is trying to get revenge on Ella. She's using her daughter to get that revenge mm-hmm. without telling her that the place
0: they've gone is, belongs to the man that she loves. Or he works there because as Matthew Paul pointed out, this could be the same pumpkin farm Peter, Peter owned, you know, Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater.
2: Oh, that is the one I was thinking of. I don't know how many pumpkin farms Storybrooke might have. I thought they said it was his, but either way, it's still connected to him. And yeah, she's horrible
0: (laughs) with her stabby cane. She's very, very harsh. Now, when she did stab Ashley there and Emma uses, finally is able to use her magic to heal Ashley, it was Henry's uh, reassurance, maybe not necessarily his touching her on the shoulder like we saw in season two at the beginning of season two, that when Emma touched Regina, that's when Regina was able to use her magic. But I don't think anything like that happened here with Henry because they did not at all focus on his putting his hand on her. But... What I want to focus on is that it was his reassuring Emma that enabled her to start to use her magic again. And think about the vision. Inside the vision, we see David, Snow White, and Henry, and Hook running up to Emma when she is being attacked. I'm wondering if maybe what happens beyond what the scene here is that with them being there even though emma is stabbed by the sword with all of them being there emma is able to use her magic heal herself and then defeat whoever that is under the hood Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. and that seer is just full of it so when everything's resolved what do you do if granny's is too far well you just sit down and have a picnic right there at the pumpkin farm which makes nice sense. Okay. Especially
2: when you paid so much to use that pumpkin farm for this episode. Get, you got to get your money's
1: worth. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think there is some good character development with Emma here in her realizing, yes, I need to take some risks. Yes, I need to walk out the door.
2: I hope there's not a bus. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs>
0: That's a great line. And you, listener, know my thoughts here that... I know that you may choose different morality here and you may define morality differently. Okay. I know that. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm trying to save you. (laughs) 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 What, and I, I know what I really want to see them do is make the heroes people we can actually look up to with higher moral values than ourselves. People that we will want to emulate by will see, wow, they made a decision that's tough, but it's Mm. respectable, it's honorable. I know even in um, some of the uh, disagreement that I've received from some of our listeners about my explaining my morality here and my opinion, I, I know that people are of different opinions and such, but in even those disagreements, I believe all of them or most of them did even say things like, yeah, I respect those people who choose to save sex for marriage, but, and which is kind of a disqualifier for your previous statement, but they do say that they've chosen something differently or, or they don't think I should come down so hard. Remember, I'm not judging. I'm trying to save you. <laughs> I really want to see Emma and Hook if, okay, I'm fine with them being together as a couple, but I want to see them get married to have a lifelong commitment and covenant that comes with marriage and it be a moral decision that's maybe a higher moral decision than you might choose but it's something that's more respectable it's something to look up to as a hero okay i'm done with my <laughs> soapbox i'm not judging you i'm just trying to save you
1: <laughs> i thought your soapbox was really really well taken though in this case because these people are being called not only heroes but saviors all through the show and so they're, they've put themselves out, uh, way out in front of, of what you're talking about. And there's the, there's the morality side and there's the ethics side. But there's also, uh, you know, if you, if you go back and you look at the Bible as literature, not as proselytizing, the text has a whole lot of examples of how not to behave. And because you watch people behave so badly, it gives you a really great opportunity to discuss, wow, what should they have done then? because that didn't work so well. And we have a lot of ground covered in this show with examples of people making bad decisions. And so I think on a, a corollary to what you're saying is it would be really interesting to watch people make the right decision for the right reasons and let that play out. Because sometimes making the right decision for the right reasons doesn't get you an automatic or an immediate benefit. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Sometimes it's like, bing, that was it. I was supposed to do that, and here we go.
0: And in that sense, I do think Emma is making a decision here for the right reason. That is, this is, I guess, in in many people's minds, this is a form of commitment. Mm. And uh, so they are kind of displaying that with Emma, certainly with her saying this in the context of talking about walking out the door, uh, even though there could be a bus or, <laughs> or some, that whole thing. This is her taking a leap of faith, (laughs) irony there, and (laughs) this is her committing to something, not only committing to a person, because we've seen Mm -hmm. Emma not commit to people in the past, and she's had attachment or detachment issues. She's had walls. We've seen all of that. Mm -hmm. So this is... uh, (laughs) We've seen all the walls. (laughs) This is is, um, building on her character there and showing her growing up more, but also this is... I think her commitment to kind of what Archie said earlier, that she is wanting to live her life, not pursue a happy ending mm-hmm. and then be done. Mm-hmm. So I can respect those things. Uh, so, yeah, decision. I think it's the wrong decision, but for the right reasons. I know you as the listener might disagree with me. That's fine. We can watch the show together. And,
1: and it'll be interesting to see how the writers play it out. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, that's one of the things that's so great about it is
0: that's a really complicated,
1: grown-up, no easy answer decision. Mm-hmm. And I really think you put it beautifully and very respectfully. And, you know, you're just awesome.
0: <laughs> and let's see if our listeners think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of awesome, which would be an awesome segue into thanking our heroes, but I've already done that. But yes, you have. An awesome scene here was the Dr. Doctor scene. With Dr. Yes! Jekyll and Dr. Frankenstein together mm-hmm. and doing science sort of things together. <laughs> and, and it's funny that Dr. Whale's license plate says, The Doctor. The Doctor. Which mm-hmm. makes us all think of Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Many of us. Yeah.
1: Although, it could also just be indicating that Victor Frankenstein is a really, really stuck-up, annoying character. <laughs> <laughs> which, which he kind of is. He invented, as far as we're concerned, invented the word hubris as as a personal mode of life. He's he just asks for it right, left, and center. And uh, and uh, Dr. Whale has been an interesting character. Once we figured out that his his name was a reference to the the man who directed the first real yeah. uh, two Frankenstein movies. Yeah, Frankenstein's an interesting guy to bring up. Yeah.
0: Now, you remember how in the last episode, full discussion episode of the podcast, we discussed Gareth's theory that led us to talking about maybe Emma is battling herself. And we kind of joked about, well, maybe some of that personality splitting potion spilled on Emma and that split her personality. Yeah. Well, we didn't think about the possibility in that discussion of what if they create a new potion? Guess what they're doing right here? They're creating a new (laughs) potion. Here's what Gareth wanted to add, building on that theory. He said, This week we learned that Dr. Jekyll is working on recreating Uh his potion. This makes the possibility of Emma literally being split a greater possibility. That being said, I don't think the fight needs to necessarily be a literal one. The fight could take place inside Emma's mind. The second Emma could be inside her head the way the Dark One, Rumple was. Although Emma is having the visions and interprets them as something that is really going to happen in the real world. It could just be a visualization of a figurative battle that is going on inside of her. We have already agreed that the visions are suspect, possibly planted in her mind or not meaning what they appear to mean on the surface. Mm-hmm. So there is no reason to think that the battle is exactly what it looks like. Now, Do remember, though, that the oracle – this is my words here, no longer Gareth. Gareth, thank you for the great feedback. Uh, do remember that the oracle did say, on the day that you saw, in the battle that you saw, you will die.
2: Oracle, thank you. I keep calling her the seer. <laughs> She doesn't live up to the seer. The seer Uh, 2.0? I I
0: have a different theory. What's that? Now that Frankenstein's involved.
2: Everything he creates turns to zombies. Oh, no. (laughs) Maybe he'll create zombie Dark One Emma, and that's what she's battling.
0: Well, that would be...
2: (laughs) Remember his brother? Remember Daniel? Everything he does turns to zombies. And,
0: and David Anders, who plays Dr. Whale, Dr. Frankenstein, is <laughs> yes. on another TV show with by the way um Rose McIver who played oh. um, uh, Pixie uh, the the fairy um Tinkerbell. They're both on the TV show I Zombie. Yep. Oh my goodness. Everything
2: zombies with him.
1: <laughs> it's going to be really interesting what they let him do. I was sorry to see him kind of disappear after the first season because I, I really liked him and I was squealing with delight when he popped back up again. <laughs> There's a lot to play with with that. Uh, not the least of which is that in the in the book, the the Victor is the monster mm-hmm. and the, the monster is referred to as the creature. If you've seen Young Frankenstein, the fabulous speech that the, um, Frankenstein has given at the end where he talks about this man who risked his life for me and he has this whole long fabulous monologue, that's closer to the book and the tone of the book than anything in either of the two original Frankenstein movies.
2: Interesting.
1: Yeah, because Mel Brooks, he knows his source material. He nailed that one. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of a monster Frankenstein is when he comes into contact with Hyde.
0: Yeah, and that will happen soon because the evil queen has let Hyde out to play. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, they looked so great together yes
1: they did <laughs> i thought so too oh what a lovely couple <laughs> just
2: strolling through the psych ward
1: yep in their fabulous clothes
0: i figured we wouldn't have Hyde inside of that hospital prison for many more episodes no uh, he'd be wasted and it makes sense for he and the evil queen to team up together Mm-hmm. It does kind of make me wonder who really brought all of those people with the untold stories over. Was it Hyde or was it the Evil Queen? Now, Hyde knew who came over. And the people, at least in the previous episode of Once Upon a Time, referred to Hyde as bringing them over. But I wonder if the Evil Queen had any hand in that. Probably not. It seems like this is the start of their partnership.
2: It'd be really fast. She was basically born the same time that was all happening. Yeah. In a sense.
0: <laughs> True. True. Yeah.
1: That's a good way to put it. Yeah, he's he's going to be fun.
0: And the evil queen is certainly there to see everyone tear themselves apart. <laughs> 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 She's
1: so good at that. It is
0: delicious. Here's a way that I would describe this evil queen versus the evil queen from Enchanted Forest. This evil queen... Seems to be a little bit bigger than life. There's this idea that when you're public speaking, you're on stage, any hand motions that you make need to be bigger than you would normally make in a regular conversation. <laughs> where if you're communicating that something is big, you wouldn't hold your hands out in front of you at shoulder width, you would hold your arms out extended from your body as far out as you can reach and that communicates it's big and that's a much bigger gesture that people can see when you're speaking in front of people why i bring that up is because i feel like enchanted forest evil queen was that smaller gesture type that everything seemed to be kind of within this little box around her this evil queen in storybook seems to be that much bigger gesture type we see her with the the sawn and stuff in the last episode and in this episode maybe we'll have the screenshot in the show notes at com slash 262 when she sends off emma hook and henry and takes them off the chessboard <laughs> evil queen does this arms extended out kind of victory mm-hmm. sort of thing or celebrating sort of thing that seems a bit bigger than life i laugh for this one
2: watching her bask in what she had just done dancing around Ashley's shoe <laughs> yeah
1: that was her Hamilton moment where she just <laughs> stood their arms out she it, it's interesting too that you you bring that up Daniel because in acting school at UCLA when you worked with the theater people they were telling you to go big so that people in the back row could see what you were actually doing so the example was if, if you wanted to break a pencil to show that you were tense you'd break it over your knee and it would be a very distinct motion that you would be able to see no matter where mm. But that if you were on film, you would have to be prepared for there to be a close-up on your hand tightening on the pencil. And they would communicate the same thing, but it's very different styles of acting. Mm. So for Regina to have been, or for the actress to have been given the opportunity for them to say, okay, we buy it now. We know who you are, and you can go big and it won't look cheesy. Whereas if she had been this big back in season one, we probably would have been kind of horrified (laughs) but it makes so much sense now to see her just really embrace the drama of who she gets to be now and it's fun to watch
2: and she's an evil queen that is free of the regina that
1: saved Mm -hmm. snow white right yeah
0: that may have had anything holding her back she does still have some kind of motherly feelings for Uh, henry
2: i think she's what we thought she was in the beginning i think she is using some emotional manipulation, but she's not making any attempt so far to talk to Henry one-on-one and win him over. When she sees him, she's like, oh, son, you're here. I can use you. Yeah. I don't
0: think she loves him at all. I could be proven wrong, but... I think there's a part of her that does, but not mm-hmm. well—not necessarily even love, but almost ownership, which is a really weird word to use. I know.
1: It's that same, yeah. It's right. That's right. I was going to say that he owes her.
2: I remember putting all this work into you.
1: Uh-huh. uh-huh. You owe me the respect, you owe me the you owe me the love. Mm-hmm.
0: So coming up, I think we'll see stuff like what does David do with his new knowledge since he didn't burn the card?
1: He better
2: confess it to his wife in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We don't need any more secret motives and and family splits with these people. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I think that we'll get to see more of the family and the love affecting Emma. Mm-hmm. And all kinds of other things are coming up still. And you'll get to hear a bunch of them in the spoilers that you'll hear soon after we end the episode with the music when we share the spoilers from Hunter and Jacqueline. But we want your feedback for the upcoming discussions, and we'd love for you to continue this conversation about this episode. You can comment on the show notes at onespodcast.com slash 262. That's also where you can get our contact information, our email address, our 24-7 voicemail number, the ability to send voice messages through the website so that you can send us your feedback on future episodes of the TV show so we can try and incorporate your feedback and theories into the podcast. When you go to oncepodcast.com slash two sixty-two, please click on the sharing buttons because the best thing that you can do for the podcast, and it doesn't cost you anything except a little bit of time, is share the podcast with someone else. Either as an encouragement or as a way to help explain things. It could be that they're back on season one. And I've heard from several listeners who have said they've gone back and listened to season one and they've said it's amazing how many of your theories proved true which is cool that they take it that way Uh (laughs) there are also an amazingly high number of theories that proved false and coffee was involved with one of them absolutely i try not to relive that moment though (laughs) but we would love for you to share this episode at onespodcast.com slash 262 and share the entire podcast. Tell others, show them how to subscribe to the podcast and thank you for subscribing to the podcast, for sharing the episodes out, for sharing the podcast, for watching the show. I know that uh, some of our listeners watch the TV show still because they enjoy the podcast and the podcast makes the TV show still enjoyable for them. So thank you very much for that. Thank you for the reviews, for the support of the podcast. And as long as I'm thanking people, I want to thank our special team of volunteers who help make each episode of the podcast, especially this one, possible. Special thanks to Jack for writing our show notes and happy birthday, Jack. It was her birthday recently and we are very grateful for her help and hope that she had a wonderful birthday. I saw some photos on Facebook and congratulations on the special birthday number and a very happy birthday. Happy birthday, Jack. And thanks to John Buchanis for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding our timeline. Good luck, Keb. <laughs> and to my fellow co-host, Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, Jacqueline. And now Heather mm-hmm. for doing the podcast with me. Please connect with us on Twitter at once podcast, and you can follow each of us individually on Twitter. I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at the Daniel J. Lewis.
2: I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleagon, that's P H L E G
0: O N.
1: And I'm at Mama O at Twitter.
0: And connect with Heather or Dover, also on her podcast, craftlit.com, where they're going through Jekyll and Hyde right now. And until next time, remember, posture is self-respect. And if you don't have it, no one else will give it to you. I guess posture or respect. But in either case, <laughs> thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of Once Podcast. If you would like to be a hero too and have all of those awesome adjectives added to your name, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support.
3: Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for One's podcast. We've got episode 604 coming up, Strange Case. The evil queen and Hyde continue on their quest to steal Dr. Jekyll's serum. Snow looks forward to her first day back as a school teacher, and while Emma looks forward to Hook moving in with her, Hook finds himself trying to protect Belle from Mr. Gold, who has made sure she can't leave the confines of the pirate ship. Meanwhile, back in the past, Rumpelstiltskin helps Dr. Jekyll complete his serum to separate a man's personality into two, good and evil. But his help comes with a hefty price. Written by David H. Goodman and Nelson Solar, and directed by Ulrich Riley. That's another new writer,
4: Nelson Solar. He's never written anything for Once Upon a Time before.
3: Did he work with him? Or is he like
4: brand new? I think he might be brand new. I don't think he's worked. On the show in any capacity. Okay. Could be wrong, but. We do have quite a few guest stars. Yes, we do. We have Lee Ehrenberg back as Grumpy. Of course, we have Sam Whitwear and Hank Harris as Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll. David Avalon is back as Doc. Olivia Steele Falconer is here as Violet, if you remember her from season five. She was Henry's girlfriend. Johnny Coyne is back as Dr. Lydgate, who some of you might remember from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Jordan Ashley Olsen is back again as the Oracle, Elizabeth Blackmore as Mary, and Riley Jacob as Tom Sawyer. Yes, we get to see some people. new characters. <laughs> and the big guest star of the week, of course, is Karen David, who is going to be making her first appearance on the show in Storybrook under the name Shireen. But we do know that she will later be Princess Jasmine, and we'll get to see that story the week after this.
3: Yes. That's so exciting. Finally, they've been showing these characters for like months and we finally get to- I know. I'm I'm excited for the fact that maybe every single
4: promo from here on out will not be Oh my gosh, Aladdin and Jasmine.
3: <laughs> like Aladdin lifting Jasmine up and yes. spinning her around. Like we've seen that way too much now. Way too much. Let's let's get to the story, please. Yes.
4: But speaking of a promo, we of course got one. Yes, we did. Okay, so it does open up with Emma in the woods, and she seems to sense that someone is there, and it's Hyde. And she zaps him with something that shoots electric bolts. Yeah, that was weird. is interesting, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess well, she's trying magic not to rely bulky, on it.
3: Yeah, she's trying not to rely on the magic.
4: Yeah. Um, we do also see the evil queen performing some sort of magic that makes people pass out, I suppose, in Dr. Jekyll's lab. I think it's – was it Grumpy and Doc?
3: I think so. They are guest stars. And I actually like stopped the video right at that point, And it looks like them. Yeah. And in some of the photos, Grumpy is in that lab. Yep. We also see
4: Rumple as uh, the, you know, scaly golden guy back in the past in I, I, I don't know, are they already in the land of untold stories? I think they might be in Victorian England, which is why we have Dr. L- Lydgate returning because yeah. he was in victorian england so i guess jekyll and hyde originally come from victorian england and then and they that's went where, to this
3: to the land of untold stories
4: right and so that's where rumple is meeting with them in the past so you do see dr jekyll he's kind of in a very fancy
3: tuxedo if you want to call it that
4: yeah <laughs> for, <laughs> and then, fancy for
3: that time period
4: and then we do see uh Mr. Hyde talking, and he says something pretty interesting that I think Daniel might like because this has been his theory that Hyde is not the real monster.
3: Right. Because the quote goes, one man, two – well, I think it was the narration that said it. Yeah. One man, two personalities, and one final twist, Hyde is not the monster.
4: Right. And then the last few images from the promo, you do see Rumpelstiltskin back in present-day Storybrooke. And Bobby Carlyle has finally shoved the wig off. He's free of the wig. I
3: know. It looks so weird, though, because I'm like, wait, that's Rumpel, right? Right. It it doesn't look like him without that wig. We've been told there will be an
4: in-story explanation for why Rumpelstiltskin suddenly loses all of his hair. So
3: he has cancer or he's very sick and he loses all his hair. Or
4: he was off shooting another movie. <laughs> and then, of course, the last final image is, in two weeks, you will finally get to meet Aladdin and Jasmine. Yay. Yes, TV announcer, we know.
3: It's about time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we got a lot of photos, and they did a pretty good job of mixing it up, I think, this time. I agree.
4: I agree. I I liked quite a few of these photos. Oh, Especially yes. the ones that take place in the past.
3: Uh-huh. So, like I said, there's some with uh, Jekyll working in his lab and like, Grumpy is there. So that's how I think that's him and Doc that fall down. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Hyde shows up at some point. Okay. Because, I mean, it could just be the way they put the photos out, but it looks like he's in that lab and not the Victorian lab. Yeah. And then we see Rumpel all in the past. There's quite a few of him all dressed up in his scales. Mm-hmm because we know that he works and does something with Dr. Jekyll.
4: Yeah. And that's where you see him in um kind of a fancy suit, tux type thing.
3: Yeah. And then we see Hyde and he's dressed very he dre- he's more dressed like the mad scientist than Dr. Jekyll, I think. Disheveled. Well, not just disheveled, but he looks like he's wearing like a lab coat of some sort. Mhm. So it looks like he's the one doing experiments and working on this serum. And he also seems really distressed. Yes, because they did a series of photos. And like the one, the first one is him holding his hand up like, no, don't. And then um, it's like, stop, don't do that. And then you see him begging for something like his hands are together and he's begging like, please, please don't, don't, don't. And then you see him turned to, to the side and looks like he's crying. Like, yes. no, I can't believe they just did that hmm So something big's going to happen, and we're going to find out something awesome. Yep, that's exactly what I think.
4: I think Sam Witwer has been doing such a great job as Mr. Hyde, and the photos really intrigued me about what's going to happen in the past this week. Yes. And then we do see some other photos of Rumpelstiltskin in his shop, in Mr. Gold's shop, and he's got all sorts of doodads on a
3: desk. Yeah, it looks like he's building a model of something. yeah. But the Evil Queen is there, and so is Hyde. Yep. And it looks like, who is that? It looks like Gold is grasping his throat. So I'm guessing that was Hyde's throat, as if like through magic, like when he puts his hand out and clenches it or whatever. Oh, yeah, like when he Darth
4: Vader's somebody.
3: Yeah, exactly. So. And then we did get
4: a few other photos that have nothing to do with... Jekyll and Hyde
3: (laughs) yes it was very strange like I was clicking through the photos and oh okay Jekyll and Hyde Jekyll and Hyde Jekyll and Hyde that's got nothing to do with that
4: (laughs) right so we do see Snow White back in school and the other teacher is there and this is Sharon who of course will be revealed to be Princess Jasmine here pretty soon Um, they're both in Mary Margaret's classroom
3: and in the schoolyard yes so it's nice that they're getting back to normal unless it's always been normal and we just haven't seen it (laughs) I would really like to know what subject
4: Jasmine teaches. Hmm. I mean, do we think that she's like Middle and Far East studies, women's studies,
3: zoology? Yeah, but such a small school, you wouldn't think that they would have those classes. That's true. So hopefully they tell us what she teaches. History or... Oh, there you go. I don't know. But we can't wait to find out. Yep. The only other thing that happened this week that we found out about was New York City Comic Con held a Once Upon a Time panel. Yeah. And this was last weekend. So they did show the episode we just
4: finished watching, which was The Other Shoe. So the panel itself was really only about 15,
3: 16 minutes. Yeah. You can watch the whole thing if you want online. It's very short.
4: It is very short. And then they spent the rest of the time watching the episode we just finished So it was a a good conversation, I guess. You know, I mean, by this point, a lot of the questions are the same. A lot of the answers are the same. It was Adam and Eddie and then Jennifer Morrison also appeared with them. And they had some interesting things to say about her and Captain Hook, that it was about time she and Hook moved in together.
3: Yeah, Jennifer Morrison made that comment. She's like, it's about time.
4: (laughs) Yep. And then they were asked why the writers keep torturing Emma and one of the writers said that emma tortures herself no matter but no matter what happens she keeps on persevering
3: yes and the pretty much the show is showing the relationship between hook and emma they want to show it as a real relationship and how they deal with the real life stuff in a real way but they're still fighting the magic and all that other stuff but they still need to live their own lives hmm
4: Which kind of ties into the next point, which is that a, a happy ending isn't necessarily the end point, but it's a continuing process. Yes. Yeah, so they keep getting lots of little happy endings.
3: Yes. And then, oh, there was one awesome comment. It was brought up when they were talking about the relationship between Regina and Emma and how it's two strong women with no men involved. I thought that was kind of fun. hmm And then, of course, they started talking about Snow and Regina's relationship. And that was pretty much that All You Really found out in the actual panel then they opened it up to the fans and they got to ask a couple questions which of course were all answers of things we've already heard again right and
4: the only thing that really came out of this that is important for us to know is that we will find out who the cloaked figure is by christmas
3: yes so that'll be exciting
4: we have our first 10 episodes before our winter hiatus, so I probably am going to guess that we'll learn the identity in the very last episode.
3: Yeah, right before they go on their winter break.
4: Which is why we haven't seen any kind of filming of that yet, because they're they're only on like episode 9, maybe. Okay. So I, I suspect that if we don't learn in the next few days when they're filming episode 9, that we'll learn once they start filming episode 10.
3: Yeah, and um, that's about all we have for you this week. We really didn't have a lot. They've been hiding a lot of things, or we already found out so much already. Right. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at TravelingPixie.
4: I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87.
3: Until next time, Oncers.